Hey everybody, this is Tommy. I want to read for you one of the reviews we got on Apple Podcasts. Thank you from Rim DC. I've been longing and waiting for this podcast. As a 40-year-old survivor of purity culture, I am just now discovering my inner sex goddess, along with D and reconstructing my faith. This is incredibly timely, and I'm so here for it. I had no idea there were goddesses listening to the show. I love, I love, I love knowing that I goddesses love that. are the listening. Inner goddess. I love it. So good. Thank you so much for leaving that review. And listeners, if you hear this, it helps us out a lot. So if you could just go ahead and anywhere you listen to this podcast, leave a review. We'd be really appreciative. How's everybody feeling? <laughs> Do we have a table question to start? Oof. When's the last time you really... No. <laughs> When's the last time you had sex? Mm. I'm just teasing. You don't have to answer that. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if I can say. <laughs> no. Well, yeah. we, we ended last night talking about anger and rage and self-awareness. That does feel like a positive place to start. (laughs) From Milieu Media Group, this is Fun Parts, an exploration of sexuality and spirituality for anyone who's curious or convinced there must be more. With your host, Becky Patton, Ashley Lusink, Steve Weens, Luke Bronner, and me, Latifa Alatas. Fun Parts! I wonder if we couldn't start, though. Each of us have heard from different people. And I just feel like because this podcast is about we're doing this for other people and inviting other people to have conversations, I wonder if it wouldn't be something for us just to invite some of the feedback that we've had and share that in appropriate ways just to even say thank you to our listeners. Mm-hmm. I'm just really grateful that people actually keep listening. Mm-hmm. Do you have an example to start with? Yeah. I mean, well, yeah, I can start. Sure. Um, There was a woman that emailed me and she's adopted a number of children. And I think I shared this email with all of you guys with her permission, but she has adopted a number of children. And she was talking about when she took her daughter, her adopted daughter into, was having some medical issues and took her in to see a doctor. And he had, the doctor had to look in her genital region. And she talked about how she, as a mom, knew how to empower her daughter. After having listened to Fun Part, she knew how to affirm her daughter and help her daughter feel safe, having a doctor have to look in that region. And she used appropriate language with her daughter. She used appropriate language with the doctor. She used appropriate language for herself. But in the email, one of the things I was so impressed with this woman and just her journey. She's a part of the LGBTQ community. And one of the things that she said, she felt like fun parts gave her language to affirm her daughter's process, but it also affirmed some of the things within her that had not been affirmed in the process for her. Mm. And so I hope and pray I get to her town someday because she's offered me to join her at her table. And I just want her to know that that's Someday I'm going to make that happen. I want to get there because I want to see the beauty in this woman that has come forth from her own process and her own pain. And I'm so blessed and honored when I hear a story like that. I'm just like, oh, that takes my breath away because that's why we do what we're doing here. So, Sorry. 
It just makes me think of like a, I'll show you mine if you show me yours scenario, but like with our pain instead of our private parts. It, like yes. that's kind of what we're, what we're doing here is being like, well, we'll go first and show you each of our sort of unique experience around these conversations. And the result of that is other people opening up to us in ways that I could not have ever foreseen when we started talking about doing the show. I've been amazed, in fact, at the vulnerability. Some people, especially, you know, we have a, a Discord channel for the show that goes through waves of being really active. And when it is, the things people share there is just, it's just unbelievable to me. It takes my how, breath how away. The are. vulnerability of people. Yeah. I just, what's the name of it again? Discon? Discord. 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 Facecord. Facecord. Discord. Oh, there was a guy on there that shared and opened up and just, he, I just absolutely, I just wanted to reach through the phone and just hug him because his vulnerability of his pain was something that he was willing to risk saying, even though he couldn't see somebody else's face in their response. Hmm. And it's like, when you see that, you just, I don't know. I think there's something in humanity. We are made to share pain. And I think that's one of the deepest chords of how we're put together is we're made to share pain, not made to endure pain. And therefore, when we share pain, what I think happens is it expands our capacity to hold also, I think, hope and joy. Because if we can share those depths of pain, oh, then we have a greater, something's been carved out in us. We have a greater capacity to experience joy, I think. I think it's interesting too, to think about the different ways that you can share that pain and the fruit that each way bears. So like, I love the idea that this is something we're meant to share pain because that happens sometimes in the form of like venting and that is contagious. You start venting with someone, they start venting back. And that is an expression of a particular type of you know anger or whatever. But like this sharing is such an act of vulnerability and that also breeds vulnerability. I think it's also contagious in a way that's really, really healthy and beautiful and produces amazing fruit fruit of intimacy with people. That's been the experience I've had with uh, specifically with the fun parts, you know, Instagram and discord and, and just kind of the places where people have engaged strangers have engaged with their stories. I know for me when I actually share pain and for me, it, I mean, over the phone would be like not ideal. It's in person. And definitely for me over a platform, it doesn't, you know, expel the pressure out of the pressure pot in the same way. But when I'm with somebody that I love and I'm actually sharing pain, that's what actually helps decrease the weight or the angst, the burden It's the sharing of the burden that actually makes it lighter. And it might not, you know, dissipate all the pain, but it definitely decreases the pain. And it's, it's literally in the act of sharing. I can feel my body decompressing. And so I think one of the things that I love having like the discord channel. And I think that's so good because it helps give us like tie lines to what's actually happening in communities outside of around this table. But I do, I just want to continue to encourage people. The best thing you could do is find a human being that's in front of you to actually share it with, because that will help decrease and lighten the load. In my opinion, more than anything. It's very well said. I think the thing for me with the Discord platform that's been so interesting is I don't think I've realized how alone in this journey I felt like in carrying shame about the way my story has unfolded and like what did this narrative of if I would have only known what did I do wrong and those sorts of things and really holding that as this shame that I've carried for a really long time and probably still working through to a certain degree and so to see a lot of that vulnerability that has been shared there and 
it's like, gosh, I'm so not alone in this journey of trying to stumble through coming out of this purity culture thing. I think to your point, the more that we talk about it, the more we realize we aren't alone. And that's like, that's what dissipates that shame piece of it. So still working through the healing journey, but being around this table is healing for me. Me too. Getting back to the question of people that we've heard from, I don't know if I've talked on the mic about this, but before we started Fun Parts, I had to really wrestle down with Becky, my involvement in it, because I really thought, okay, the last thing that the world needs is one more white pastor voice. <laughs> you know, we just don't need that. And we had to go a few rounds about that. And now I really do see my place at the table here and I'm grateful for it. And I heard from a pastor in the People's Republic of Austin, Texas, that was basically like, oh, just know that some of us are hanging on your every word. Not not my, but our every word <laughs> in fun parts. And it reminded me that because I can feel alone as a pastor in this world where the rules are all changing so fast and no one knows what to do and how to create spiritual community in any way, shape or form. And so to hear from another fellow pastor that there's hope and you're not alone was really helpful to me. And I know like, what does pastoring have to do with sexuality and spirituality? Well, everything, because everyone carries so much trauma in that arena that every time you gather together on a Sunday morning or one-on-one, -on -one, that comes to the table and comes into the room, you know, so it has everything to do with it. Well, and as a Brown woman who has experienced a lot of pain with like white straight cis men in power, I've also luckily experienced a lot of tenderness and safety and joy with men from the same description, but specifically in the church or in a pastoral position, like Steve, it's really helpful for me to see that you exist because it helps me not just want to burn all of it down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I actually mean that sincerely. And like, you know, we have a lot of chairs around this table that aren't filled in regards to people who look different and think different and have different identities. But I am really glad if we're going to talk about purity culture, which, you know, stems from Western Christianity, we need, in my opinion, a pastor at the table to help balance, you know, that our thoughts can change our teachings can shift and we can actually hear and listen to our own bodies and our communities and, and try to understand how do we care for people who want to stay in the church? You know, I'm always kind of on the fence about if I want to or not, but for people that really do, cause that's one of the things I've discovered with people that listen, it's generally people who want to still have a place in church and in community and want to feel like they're safe and they belong, but they keep feeling ostracized, whether it's silently or publicly. And so to know that there's even pastors and churches that exist where maybe they could enter through the doors and that's not going to be the issue. I would imagine that would bring them a lot of hope. So I'm glad you're here and I like you. So there's that. Thanks. Tifa. Yeah. I'll take that. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot lately. I had a conversation with a friend, a guy who hosts another show that I'm involved with last week about kind of this whole medium. And I think this is especially true for fun parts, but like, I feel like so much of the work that I do in creating in this audio space is really just about like hollering out into the void. Like, is there anybody out there who feels this and the gift of this last 
now two year journey with you all is that there are people hollering back and being like, yep, I do. I feel it. I'm curious how you would answer the question though, for folks like Tiff, you said doing that online is one thing, but you would encourage folks to really get a person in front of them. How do you find that person? Like as a person, you have this unbelievable community, extraordinary people who are around you. I mean, they're folks who I trusted as soon as I met them, but I've not had that experience where I live of like finding people who it's very easy to be vulnerable with. In fact, I find myself part of the experience I've had with fun parts is that I come here and maybe even a little bit against my will find myself in vulnerable places with you all. Like y'all sort of break walls down for me. And then I go home and it makes other people in my life maybe feel like those walls are down. I can talk to him about this and I'm immediately like in all of my, you know, anxiety around it. And the problem I think for me is that I feel like, well, I have a podcast now I'm supposed to have answers for people. Mm. And I absolutely don't. I don't (laughs) either. Yeah. But so I'm curious, like what that experience is for you and how you would encourage folks to go about finding or initiating this sort of intimacy with other people. Well, I I was like, I've made some mistakes. Like I've, I have opened up to some people where they weren't ready for the conversation or didn't want to have the conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I'm Um, saying that's me. Yeah. (laughs) I was one of, I was first on that list. (laughs) I've even, I mean, the thing that's really tricky is I've, I've been vulnerable with people and they said they were open to the vulnerability. And then it wasn't till afterwards that they closed off. And that was painful. That was really hard for me, but I've sort of just landed that I still rather be vulnerable with people so that I can have the experience of real relational friendship, intimacy, and then like obviously intimacy with my partner. So to me, it's worth the risk. I think I have gotten a little more cautious about who I totally open up to because my personal story is not for everyone. Like just like all of us, there's things we don't share on the podcast because it's not for everybody. But I've honestly always been like a heart on my sleeve, open kind of person. So it's hard for me to like answer that question for other people because that comes very naturally to me. And I've also been the kind of person that people naturally want to tell secrets to. So, and I know Becky, you have that experience as well. So like, I feel like it would be hard for me to like, cause you and I are just designed different. We have like, and I love how you're designed. It like shows me and teaches me things, you know? And so I need like maybe 10 people or more I can do this with. And some people only need one or two. I mean, it's really a personal journey, but I would say if you have somebody that's loved you already safely for a long time and you just haven't bridged this conversation yet, but there's a history of trust built, you might want to try dipping your toe in the water with that person. And it's always okay to ask for consent as you're conversing, like literally as you're going, because like for me, I have a few friends that are like, is this going to be too much information? I'm like, it's never TMI. Like, tell me everything. And I like really want to know everything, you know, but like, as we're talking, it's like, Hey, if I share something about my sexual history or my sexual life that involves trauma or something that's exciting, can I share this with you? Like, or is it, will it make you uncomfortable and really being okay if they say no, or if they say yes. So there's a few friends now I have where it's like, we really just literally like we go to doctor's appointments with each other. So it's like, we do it all, but that's not for everybody. So continual consent while you're conversing might be a good way in if you've never done it before. I don't know. Does somebody else have a suggestion? Well, I, there's two things that I want to touch on just for a little bit. I think when you try trusting people, there is a vulnerability that you may be betrayed. 
So we have to recognize that's actually out there and it's a part, that's why it's a risk. It happens. It really does happen. And yet I want to say that I think everybody who longs to have somebody already has somebody in their life that they can trust. They just may not have trusted them in this area. Who's the person that you trust in your life that if you suddenly got a call that said your mother had died, that that's the person you would call? I mean, that person that you can, you've got some sort of level of relationship with them. And here's the thing is sexual conversations, sensual conversations are not the starting place of intimate relationships because in so many ways, we are such physical beings. It's touch. Those things are kind of the start of it. But we all have somebody that we are sensual with, even if it's when we reach over and we touch someone. We've got people that we already are engaging with. The question is, I think for so many people is, how do I start these conversations? And here's the thing is, is they're going to be messy. They're not going to be neat and they're going to feel uncomfortable. You're going to feel uncomfortable at times because there's so much of, especially if you've grown up in a Christian culture, there's so much that has been pushed away or silenced or just kind of shame related. And I think that's part of what we're saying. It's not shameful to feel uncomfortable about this. It's just, can we just be in the discomfort and notice that there's another side? Would you say though that... Like maybe there's a step that precedes finding that person or being vulnerable to that person. I feel like there has to be some sort of internal work that prepares you for that communion. And I feel like maybe that's more of a starting place that we should talk about because I'm hearing in my head as you're saying like, well, everybody already has that person. I'm hearing the people who are like, not me. Mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah. Yeah. And they may, but they just may not feel like they do. They may not recognize it or they really may not. Like I know some pretty freaking lonely people in my life and untrusting people who maybe don't have or don't feel like they have someone in their life with whom they could be vulnerable, certainly about anything, let alone about this. Well, and let me retract that then. That was an overstatement then. And I don't want to overstate that, but I think it's not as complicated as I think what makes it complicated is the kind of shame that we have built up around us around this conversation. And that's where I think that having the conversation, I mean, because if, if, I mean, I have a, every airport I'm in, I end up having this conversation. I I don't mean to. There is not one one airport in the country where I've had this conversation. That's (laughs) But so a couple of things come to my mind and I'm noticing that it's like bursting out of me. So I have to say it one, I do think that if you find yourself saying, I have to talk to someone about this, you've probably done at least some of your internal work, even if you don't know it, otherwise you wouldn't want to have that conversation. So I think then it's about to your airport point. I think the universe is a Paulo Coelho thing, but the universe conspires to assist you and aid you when your desire comes up big time. And so you may find yourself, you know, in the airport, but you know how it's like when you start thinking about buying a car, I'm going to buy a Subaru legacy. And then you start seeing Subaru legacies everywhere, or you <laughs> buy a car and you start yes. seeing Subaru. I think that's the universe. Like translate that into this <laughs> desire for having a conversation. The universe conspires to help you meet that conversation So that's one thing. Keep your eyes open for unlikely people that you may be able to talk to. The other thing I would say, 
I, I was nodding so strongly, Latifah, to your consent conversation because sometimes if you have a heavy something to say to someone, that's heavy. And I think it's okay to say, I need to talk to someone about sexuality. Can I talk to you about that? Sure. And then to say, what I'm looking for is kindness from you mm-hmm. and compassion. I like that. That's I'm good. not looking for an answer. I'm not looking to solve a problem. I just need kindness. And if all you can do is just look at me and with your eyes, communicate mercy and kindness, that would probably be enough, you know, but to ask for that, you know, don't, you might not know what you need, but think about that before you have a conversation with someone, think about, maybe it's not kindness, compassion. Maybe you are looking for an answer, but most of us, I'm I'm thinking about, this is a nerdy 30 almost, but I'm thinking about the sermon that I'm preparing this week. And it's this person who ends up being blind and he cries out, Jesus is passing by with his followers and he cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the word for mercy is literally kindness. It's not you know, forgive me for my sin. It's show kindness to me. And what's interesting is all of Jesus followers, shut him up, shut up. Don't talk. And that's what happens when we rise up with a big desire that feels messy. We get shut up. We get, we just talked about that. Then there's this picture of Jesus who listens and says, what do you want me to do for you? And then the guy says it. And then, you know, we read it and we read the miracle that his sight was healed. And that's great. But Richard Rohr says like the literal is just always the base level, you know? So if you can't get into the miracle part, which a lot of us can't look for the layer above it. And and I'm bringing in scripture because it's wounded so many people. I'm trying to say, where's the mercy in that story is that we've all probably been in a situation where we've needed kindness and we're so desperate for it that we, metaphorically or literally cry out for it and we get shut up that has happened to most of us what if there is someone does it have to be jesus no (laughs) but what if there's someone what if the universe is really conspiring to bring us to that person that will say what is it that you need what is it that you want and i think most of us want kindness and compassion and mercy when we're bringing these things well, and maybe that's also the internal work is like, yes, I think for so many people, we're not ready to go there in conversation with someone else because we haven't yet shown ourselves that kindness, right. you know, that kindness has oh. been, we've, we've withheld it from ourselves. I mean, that is what, if that's not the nature of shame is a withholding of kindness to yourself, then I'm not sure what it is. I will say that showing yourself compassion and kindness is pretty major. So I'm somebody who will first go to other people before I spend time with myself And where I've really seen some big shifts in healing in my life is when I'm actually spending time with myself. And so, you know, you were like, well, how do I get started if I'm somebody who's feeling like I don't have anybody and you're talking about the universe conspiring and, you know, I want to buy a Subaru and now I'm seeing Subarus everywhere. It's not that you're actually seeing, it's not that there are actually more Subarus around you. It's that you are, your eyes are open to it and you're looking for it. So there's like a self-initiation, like a a self-proclamation of, I want this, I have desire for this. Mm -hmm. And so like for me, I really desire for my body to heal. And like, I really desire for my liver and gallbladder to release rage and for my lungs to release grief and for my heart to feel safe and secure so I can like radiate and hug everybody with my 
Care Bear stare, you know, like that's really what I want. And so like I have had times with myself laying in bed where I like put my hand over my heart or my hand over my solar plexus or my belly or my root, or that would be like my pelvis area. And I've like said to myself, like, am I feeling ashamed? Am I feeling embarrassed? Am I feeling mad? And I'll be like, oh, maybe I am mad, you know? And I literally will talk out loud to myself. And sometimes I think that that's actually a start to just a conversation with your own self. And then I'll call this girlfriend that I love and trust and we like don't really have secrets from each other. I'll just say like, hey, I've been experiencing this in my body or this when I'm thinking about me and my partner. And she'll say, oh yeah, that's happened to me too. And that kind of me too is so healing because it's just, it's, there's no judgment. Like you just feel received and it helps to you to feel more normal. Like, Oh, I'm not the only person that's had this thought or had this feeling or this desire in my body. And so, and I would say the last thing that I did that I think really helped me was I found friends that actually weren't marred by purity culture. (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot of friends that aren't Christians, like didn't grow up in the church. And it's really fun to have conversations with them because they have different kinds of trauma. They're not like, they didn't not experience any pain, but they don't have certain hangups that I have had like at all. And that's kind of liberating to think, wow, like that's possible. So if you can feel that way, I can probably feel this way. It just might take me a little time. I have the complete opposite experience in those situations. Mm. I'm like, first of all, in my head that this person, because they don't have the experience that I have with purity culture, they could not ever understand And to them, I'm going to seem like an absolute freak. (laughs) Like, I I mean, is that not the experience that other people have? I'm sure a lot of people have that experience. Yeah, I just, and and maybe that's the difference between me being an introvert and you being an extrovert. Like for you, it's exciting to hear that other perspective and to like, you hear that and you see possibility for yourself. And I hear that and, and just think like, I could never get there. Well, I mean, but I need the me too as well. I need the other people that are, have traveled in the same bus yeah. as me. Like if I didn't have that, I'd feel really strange. I'd mm. feel really foreign. I just, I like both, but Luke, you represent a lot of people who listen. Like they're really grateful for you, like for your vulnerability, like your discomfort and like the shame. I have shame about stuff too. It's not like I'm void of shame. I just don't, my shame boat is in a different ocean than yours. Mm-hmm. You know, a charter of different waters. <laughs> Which ocean is your shame boat floating in (laughs) on next week's Blossom? Pride. (laughs) Gosh. One thing I just want to say as we've been sitting here is remembering the context of the time that we're having this conversation. Because for me personally, with COVID and then experiencing the birth of a new baby and postpartum and all that, it's been extremely isolating. And as an extrovert who has, I feel like, had pre-COVID friendships that were around me. And then it was like the floor dropped out and we all like went into our little corners and we're all still trying to figure out how to emerge out of that. And I think like I'm an extrovert by nature and I'm having a really hard time leaving my own safe space, but I need that. Like I'm like hearing this conversation going like, this is speaking directly to me. Like I need to remember like Latifah, I love what you just said about like the body stuff. Like I'm like having to remember these pieces that I've done in my past. And I want to say past self, which is like my pre having a baby self, because 
my body and I are still getting reacquainted and all these things. And I have emotions that I didn't have before. And I feel so vulnerable. Like yesterday as we were packing up to come here, I was like, just stopped and said to Alan, my partner, I'm like, I feel so vulnerable. How am I going to piece myself together when I'm coming in empty (laughs) to share a conversation, that idea of social atrophy, like I'm still piecing together. And I'm like, I don't know, this is I just want to remember that. So when we're talking about like, you may have people that you can engage in this conversation with, it's like, I may have had that person two years ago, but who are those friends now? And who has kind of like made it through this crazy season of life? And I think for people listening, like there's a lot that's happened in this like blank two years ish that we've been in this world of like, whether like for me, it was having a baby, like there's just so many different life experience, things that were put on hold because of it, you know, like major things happen within this chasm of time that I think if we wouldn't have experienced this collective pause together, I don't know, how would I be coming to the space now and what things wouldn't I be aware of that I'm like, that feels so present to me now because there's so many things that feel so much more open or on the surface, you know, like traumas and different things because we've experienced so much collective trauma as a culture that it's like, I'm trying to deal with my own plus what I'm hearing and seeing from, you know, different pockets around the world that I wasn't aware of two years ago, you know? So I just feel like we're in a unique time. And maybe that's some of the kindness that we can start with for ourselves is just to say that like, Hey, vulnerability right now might just look like spending time with a person again, because it's for a lot of people, it's been a long time since we've had any sort of, I love the whole social atrophy thing. And I even feel that as an introvert, like, it was already hard to be social. It was already hard to like know how to not be in my head when I'm in conversation with somebody. And it's not like riding a bike, like you do forget it. And so I think we're all maybe a little bit out of practice. I even feel that at this table. We, I mean, we talked about it a little bit when we finished recording episode zero, how it's taking a little bit to like knock the rust off the pipes, you know, to be like, how do we do this again? It's been a while since we gathered around a table and just bore our souls to one another. And so you know, maybe the starting place with kindness is to say that like vulnerability and the sort of intimacy that we're talking about doesn't have to be the first step. You don't have to like go find someone who you haven't seen in two years and just like tell them all your stuff. Cause I want to say to that, I had a moment yesterday with a friend that I hadn't seen in that amount of time. Mm -hmm. And we just were catching up on some, I don't want to say surface stuff, but some things that weren't like the deepest vulnerable, but she looked at me across the table and she's like, Cause I was like, how are you doing? Cause I had kind of started the conversation. It was, I turned to her and she's like, it's been so lonely. And she's like, it might just be me. I felt so lonely. And I'm like, oh my God, you are so not alone. Like, I just felt like so much of that is just to your point, like Latifah, like that acknowledgement of like, is this just me? And then the other thing I want to say is I have one friend that's just emerged through all of this that like she's popped over to her home at different times. And I'll text her and be like, I'm not doing well. Mm-hmm. And she's a friend that can hold that. And that has been one of the greatest gifts in the season of life is just like to name, like, I'm not my usual cheery self, but you can just come and meet me where I'm at in this. And that's just, I think it doesn't have to be, let me unpack all of my trauma with this person, but can I just name, this is how I'm doing today. Can you meet me there? And that's just enough. So I think it, it can, it doesn't have to be the biggest thing, but just can we sit with each other? I think as we're kind of emerging out of this and being like used to being in proximity, physical proximity 
with each other, you know, because I did a lot of like my days have been Zoom calls, you know, so you're not really like in person with people. So it feels disorienting, you know, I think all the Zooming and all the FaceTime and it confuses our own understanding of humanity because like mirrors of humans helps me be in touch with my own humanity and have compassion with your humanity and we're holding humanity together and that feels so good. And then all the zooms and all these things, it's like everyone's two dimensional and you're seeing your own self when you're looking at someone else, which I don't prefer in any way. Filtered backgrounds. Yeah. It's really bizarre. And it's like, I need reminders of the humanity of me and the people across from me. And, And it is physical presence. And that's why, I mean, I've had huge waves of despair and grief and anxiety throughout COVID. Like, I mean, I've had a lot of cool things happen and a lot of joyful things change in my life, you know, in a really great way, but it it hasn't been void of really tough feelings because I'm an extrovert too. And I'm having a weird understanding of how to like be social again. You know, to your point of looking at yourself when you're on a zoom call or Google chats or whatever, I finally had to figure out how to hide my face. Yeah. You can do that. You can do that. Yeah. You just hit the negative and you're not there. No, you're not there because I think that's awesome. You know, when you're looking at your own face for hours on end and you're looking at your, you know, saggy jowls or tired eyes or whatever it is, then try to be compassionate and kind to yourself. No, I mean, like looking at yourself on Zoom for three or four or eight hours a day is a direct hit (laughs) on your self-esteem, on your, you know, it's just something as simple as that. No one's talking about that. But that's real. Talking about the times in which we live, that adds to the trauma, the anxiety, the lack of self-compassion, lack of self-kindness. It changes your focus too. I think that's why I figured out how to Mm -hmm. do it. It's just because I want to be focused on who I'm talking to and not on, oh, I forgot to put my earrings in. You know, I mean, stupid, but that's actually some of the conversations I've had with myself. And it's like, who cares? They don't care if I have earrings on. Okay, close that thing. And I think... The thing that we're missing most, and I felt it last night when we got in here, which I know we were tired. We'd done some traveling and stuff like that, but it's feeling one another's energy. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. hundred percent. And when you can feel somebody's energy, you can feel the, like just touching you guys, feeling the warmth of your skin. We had your sweet baby that we got to see her eyes light up. We get to feel her energy in the room. That's part of what we've all missed for two years. Yeah. And you know, the three of us, Becky, Latifa, and I, before other people were here, Luke, you were setting up, but you asked me, how's it been to be back after sabbatical? And I just launched in. And then about a minute into it, I go, oh, I'm sorry for, and then I caught myself and, and I'm like, no, I'm not sorry. You, you, you asked me how I'm doing. I'm going to tell you how I'm doing. And it wasn't good. You go. you know? Yeah. But that was such a gift. Like you, Latifa, there's something about you that, cause I would edit with some people, you know, and probably you should edit with some people, you know, cause they just don't know how to carry, you know, all of a sudden their eyes get big and <laughs> oh my gosh, they start checking their watch. Yeah. Checking their watch. <laughs> but, that's... but anyway, I, I noticed that like, so I picked up your energy and Becky, of course yours, that was just wide open to, Oh, you know, you're not doing well. Cause you're supposed to do great. You know, if you have three months off where you're just playing, like you're supposed to come back fired up and ready, you know? I mean, I'm saying that that's barf and whatever, but no, it felt so great to be able to say, gosh, I'm not really doing that well. (laughs) 
I'm worried about all kinds of stuff. Yeah. You know? And, oh, that was good. It was good for me too, to like actually know how you're doing. And for anybody that's sensitive to energy, it's like, I already knew it before you said it. Yeah. So I love it when someone's honest because then we can just have agreement that we're all experiencing the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> can we, can yeah. we circle back to where we started with? That was sharing your pain. Yeah. yeah. And in that moment, you took your pain, you opened it up and invited us to sit with that pain. And as we held that pain, it became, I don't know what it did to you. I'll tell you what it did, but I'll tell you my process quickly. First of all, a minute in, I said, I'm sorry. I feel there's something inside me that goes, whoa, 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 don't share your pain. Not because I feel bad about it, because I don't want to burden people. Or maybe I do feel bad about it. I don't know. So initially I apologize. But then as the conversation was lingering for 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, I internally didn't say it, but I started feeling like, oh man, we got to move on from this. I'm, I'm dominating the conversation, you know, but That's bullshit, right? Yeah. Cause you weren't giving no, that energy to I me. Wasn't you feeling weren't done. You weren't done, out. but I was. So I'm just saying like, and even Luke to some of your stuff, I think I share some of your stuff. Like, who am I really going to talk? I'm way less likely to share my pain than maybe people think. I think I can come across as open and authentic and vulnerable, but honestly, a part of that is my pastor thing that I know how to be just authentic and just vulnerable enough to look authentic and vulnerable in front of a crowd or on a mic. Maybe I'm doing it right now. I don't even know. You're um, doing great right now. But with the two of you, I had to check that. I had to check that internally. We're okay. If this takes 20 minutes, 25 minutes, they're my friends. They asked me, they want to know. But I had to check that, you know, that's my internal thing. It's shame. That's shame. Yeah. And it's I, so real. I don't like deserve so, to get this much that. attention. Yeah. I, that was me yesterday at lunch. Mm -hmm. Well, Becky and Latifah, I, I mean, I have the exact same experience with each of you every time I'm around you. And it always makes me like, I get nervous every time I'm seeing y'all for the first time after a while, <laughs> because y'all will ask a question yeah. like, how are you? Or Latifah, you'll call me and ask me that question. And it like gets me so flustered because I know you actually... One, you actually want to know. Two, you actually know. And I hate that. I hate, Becky, I'm the sorry. first time I met you, I mean, it was just like you were like greeting me and saying hello and asking me very simple questions, but it was like you were staring a hole right <laughs> into like my darkest places. And I was just like, this is the most intimidating person I've ever met in my life. And it me? was, yes. And it wasn't the sort of intimidating that I'm used to. It was intimidating because I was immediately confronted with my shame. I was immediately confronted with like, she's going to make me say things I don't want to say and I, that I'm not ready to say. I mean, so I say that just to agree with you, Steve, that like y'all have a particular way of like disarming me. Like I want to put my defenses up. And then I almost immediately after that don't, you know. I think we've spent so much time trying not to feel shame. Mm. And I wonder if it's just time to make space for shame at the table. Yes. Because I think even shame wants to be healed. Shame is just scrambling to not have to feel what it is. And I think underneath shame is something that's crying out to be healed. So can I just make space for it at the table? Bring your shame. You bring yours. You bring yours. I'll bring mine. It's not the enemy. It was created because there was pain and there was no one to process it with.
my brother-in-law told me one time, he's like, you know, people who bite their fingernails, they actually just have a craving for salt and they're trying to find the saltiest thing that's near to them in that moment, which one is disgusting, but like, it's also like, you know, I mentioned earlier that maybe shame is just that, however we said, like it's an expression of a need for kindness to yourself. And like, maybe that's the craving. Shame is just a symptom of like, oh, I really need to be kind to myself right now. I'm really needing some kindness right now. I don't know. There's a practice you could do, call it whatever you want to call it, but it's basically welcoming. It's welcoming instead of pushing it down, shame, oh, get away, get away. You know, we don't like that feeling, but if you could translate that into saying, welcome, welcome shame. I'm not going to try to control you. I'm not going to try to push you down. I'm going to greet you and welcome you. And, you know, like Brene Brown or whoever it is, Elizabeth Gilbert says, you can't drive the car. I get it. But you have a place here and you want to tell me something that I need to hear. So what is it? And then the universe probably will conspire to get some healing. But we can't heal when we just are constantly pushing it down. But we can't heal what we can't acknowledge. We cannot heal what is not acknowledged. This is so insidious. When you're talking about, especially this is why purity culture was so damaging because you could not say your temptation because you had been immediately met with Bible verses or judgment, well, judgment or accountability groups and you know, all that stuff. And so we were really taught to not welcome all those things. And so they grew and grew and grew and grew and grew until they became thorn in your side. Yeah. My goodness. So, but because I still hear people talk about, I mean, many people aren't past purity culture, even if they've left the evangelical church, if even if they've left, those roots are still there because it's not about purity culture. It's about shame. That's correct. It's about and shame. Control. And I control. I want to say about it's just shame and control. And so we're talking about this whole episode that we didn't plan. What do we do with our pain? What do we do with our anger? How do we talk to people about it? How do we do the internal work? How do we show compassion and kindness to ourselves first? And I think it starts with welcoming Welcoming things, feelings, emotions, learning to ride that wave up and down until we're no longer fighting it. So it can be transformed over time, you know, and then we'll two steps back, one step forward. You know, that's how it is. You know, I still deal with shame big time, big time. I uh, was watching a special about black holes on Netflix and I think the cosmos and the galaxies are such big teachers. And recently in the last couple months, they discovered that there's actually light on the other side of this black hole in our galaxy, which is very exciting. And, you know, I used to think of black holes as like pits of despair into endless nothingness. And now what we know is there's life on the other side. And I used to think of shame that way, that shame was just like the black pit of despair. And if I let myself go into it, I would get lost in it and I would never come out and I would always be surrounded by it. For me, shame has become an indicator and something that says, Oh, there's something here. There's something here. Latifah come with me. And I don't like the feeling. That's like when I said on episode zero to Lucas, like, Hey, I feel really embarrassed about this. That's shame. But being able to articulate it, it took me somewhere and it took me to another story I was carrying that I felt a lot of sadness, and a lot of anger about. And, you know, on the other side of that black hole of shame is actually new life and new light and new opportunity to discover. And so I, 
as I've engaged with shame, engaged with my pain and those things, and I've learned that it actually doesn't have to consume me for eternity, I've now allowed it to be basically like an indicator flag or, or indicator light. And it's really horrible to still feel it. Like I don't enjoy it. I'm not like, whoa, come on, <laughs> you know. Um, Welcome. <laughs> yeah, I love you. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you're here. But like, it's, I just feel like for me, it's like, oh, Latifah, there's something here. And generally for me, it's connected to loss of control and power being made to have felt very small and insignificant. And then shame, you know, is like, let's keep you there, you know, but it's actually not a bad character. It's actually something that's trying to teach us and show us something. And so when we avoid it, it gets louder and bigger. Just like if we avoid a pain in our ankle, like if you have a hurt ankle and you avoid it, that it's swelling and you don't ice it, or you don't like take care of it and you keep walking on it and pretending like it's not there. Okay. I'm going <laughs> to ice it. Like, but no, but like, honestly, yeah. the body will get louder. The ankle will get worse and it's not because your body's against you. It's because your body is for you. So it's like, okay, if you're not going to listen to this one indicator light, I'm going to send seven more. The body's trying to tell you something. Exactly. And I think the invitation might be, can we just be curious about when shame shows up and can we begin practicing compassion for ourselves? And I found that curiosity and compassion are two of the best healers. Because if I can just get curious and then I picture my shame out here versus inside me, like, what are you trying to tell me as you're saying? And then can I have compassion that you showed up in this moment? Can I have compassion for me first? Because we can't give what we don't own. I can't give compassion to other people if I don't have compassion for myself. That's false. And I think honestly... Shame feeds on shame. That's correct. So when you interrupt that, you disrupt it and you go, what I'm going to get curious about you instead of just feeding you what I fed you in the past. It's you're disrupting something and you're going, oh, maybe the ice on my ankle. Hypothetically speaking. Hypothetically speaking for someone at this table might actually give enough relief that the body can then begin the healing. That it needs. And I just think our bodies are magnificent microphones for our process of healing. Yes. This episode of Fun Parts was produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Braun. Our artwork was designed by the very talented Alan Lusink. All the music you heard in this episode was composed, produced, and licensed by the fine folks at blue.sessions.com. Check out our website at funpartspodcast.com and be sure to follow us on social media at funpartspodcast. Lastly, if you want access to bonus and behind-the-scenes content from this and other Milieu Media Group shows, join our neighborhood at the Patreon link in the show notes. And now... Here's a scene from the next episode of Fun Parts. I guess what I'm I'm asking is like, you know, us having this conversation about purity culture and sexuality is like one part of the body of the community of things that we love to talk about that matter that's been causing a lot of harm. And maybe that's why we're encouraging people to go home and talk about it because we need more people to be talking about it to actually diffuse the shame and like diffuse the pain. It's like one isn't enough.
I'm never going to be enough. I'm not even enough for myself. 